laboratory is the mind where behind illusions we uncover the laws of truth jagdish chandra bose welcome to a new episode of the researcher's story an exploration into the science labs of india a conversation with some of our best minds where a scientist will finally get to be the hero of the show hope jaren the american geobiologist wrote in an auto autobiography lab girl science has taught me that everything is more complicated than we first assumed and that being able to derive happiness from discovery is a recipe for a beautiful life so today we have with us our very own lab girl i would say she is a recipient of the prestigious ramalinga swami fellowship and is slowly but steadily carving out a niche for herself in the indian scientific community please welcome dr anandalakshmi sundaraman rajiv gandhi center for biotechnology to our show welcome dr ananta uh, hello suraj glad to be here and thanks for having me amazing uh, so it's been like what 9 months you're back in india how does it feel to be back home well um, actually slightly longer than that um, i i managed to just about escape the covid situation and uh, land early 2020 in india so um, that that just worked out uh, likewise for me because if i had stayed a bit longer i would have anyway lost more time so it was a very opportune um, fellowship position that i got which allowed me to come back to india and relocate in covid times and get my lab started slowly but steadily okay. and um, i am very thankful to dbt for doing that um, this is a reentry uh, fellowship that is aimed at people who are doing their post doctoral research abroad and they are offered these five year positions for them to come and establish their labs and then continue and contribute to science in this country amazing amazing uh, so uh, what are what's the criteria to to you know qualify for this fellowship so um, this fellowship requires a mandatory two year experience in research abroad um, it is um, it is in parallel with other such opportunities that do exist like the ramanujam reentry fel- uh, fellowship and there are also not many people know this but there are also a couple of fellowships that we can actually write from abroad while we transition into academic roles in india so there is this very prestigious welcome intermediate fellowship that can be attempted from abroad and also there is um, uh, institute specific fellowships like the nibmg reentry fellowship that is for you to work in nibmg kolkata um, uh, and also there are a couple of more um, iyba and some others that people who are interested in coming back after having gained um, an amount of experience abroad 2 to 3 years can apply for and come back to amazing amazing uh, that makes a lot of sense i mean uh, we, i'm sure there will be a lot of people who will be interested to come back to our country and uh, you know pursue some kind of a research and you know starting your own lab working uh, in your own lab it does have those challenges so such fellowships i'm sure you know it's definitely useful Yes yes definitely so this is maybe one attempt at reversing the brain drain because there are there are are also a lot of trained uh, um scientists who do extremely well 
uh, who would ad- want to come back uh, to India and um, you know contribute to the science uh, in our country. But there are various structural um, obstructions to it. One being, you know, there are not enough scientific uh, institutions to absorb all this talent. But uh, scouting for talent and making it easier for them to come back, like these reentry fellowships, are very useful. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Uh, I think. I think. Let's let's get to uh, your story. So, you are someone who's been in the field of life science research for the past, say, like twelve years, if we include your time at the IISC, right? Um. So, what's so special about uh, doing fundamental research uh, that keeps you hooked onto it? Because I'm sure it's not easy, and uh, it's all like an invisible world. I mean, if you talk about cells and molecules and also, is it fun doing that work? Yeah, absolutely. So we and uh, I myself entered IAC in 2008. Um, starry-eyed. Um, uh, fellow with absolutely no idea what was ahead of me. So, um, and it was uh, the whole atmosphere of Indian Institute of Science is very inspiring. And uh, people are dedicated to having uh, research pretty much a part and parcel of their life. And um, it's, it's a life-changing experience having uh, to do an integrated PhD in ISA where the masters and PhDs combined into uh, rolled into one course um, so that allows us um, um, a way to you know explore science um, with people who are equally enthused as ourselves and uh, so excellent facilities and faculty so it was really a dream come true for me uh, being in ISA and having science as a career it is difficult in terms of uh, not everything working out the way we want there are multiple obstacles uh, but the one thing science is not is it's not boring. Every day is a new adventure and most of the adventures don't go the way you plan it to be. But uh, mostly we learn and we take one step at a time and move forward. I can say definitely that there are multiple situations, multiple times when pretty much every researcher feels that their project is a failure. Uh, and from, so at that, from that point, you know, uh, it, it is again... Um, a lot of trial and error, but you have the community to take you through it. So I think that's why I really do enjoy doing science and I will enjoy doing science for the rest of my life. So it is uh, it is it is the, you know, uh, the challenge that every day brings. So yeah, that's and so you bring out an important point about the community. And I think IIC is such one such place, right, where you have that community who is so much interested in basic fundamental research. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and now, uh, coming back to India, you are a part of the Rajiv Gandhi Center for Biotechnology, uh, based out of Trivandrum. Uh, and you're working in the Cardiovascular Diseases and Diabetes Biology Group, right? So, can you tell us a bit about the institution and uh, the kind of work that, that goes on there? Yeah, so Rajiv Gandhi Center for Biotechnology is now a nationalized institute uh, since past 15 odd years. Um, it's, it's a center of eminence, and uh, I... Uh, although not as well known as the IITs and the ISERS and ISA, I would put many of the groups working here on par with the kind of research that that gets done in ISA. So, um, so it's it's a niche place. It does not have the broad uh, engineering and uh, ca- other streams of sciences. It's dedicated to biotechnology, but as such, the infrastructure 
and uh, the courses like the masters in biotechnology that rgcb actually uh, gives uh, provides uh, it has three streams like the masters in biotechnology um, and uh, uh, i think it's a very good opportunity it has an independent uh, entrance examination and interview process uh, i i i guess so uh, you can actually uh, everyone i would urge who has an interest to pursue biotechnology in the masters and then phd level should definitely check out rgcb because it's a specialized institute it's good at what it does and it's a very niche place uh, pretty much like cifr ncbs and others that are you know biology centric so that way rgcb is an up and coming institute can you tell us a bit about the work that happens in the in your in your lab uh, in the cardiovascular space uh yes um so right now my lab is interested in something unique so in our cells actually we have a lot of water soluble proteins the globular proteins that are whizzing around in the cytoplasm of the cell but we also have proteins that are tethered to the membrane so they have to be transported from one place to another in the cell in these small sac like structures called vesicles these are an absolutely amazing set of uh, structures in the cell because it's a logistic problem for the cell where to place the receptors and how to get them from one point to another because these proteins don't diffuse easily in the cytoplasm they have to be inside a membrane which is a hydrophobic region so how to get these receptors to move around is a question that the cell deals with in its own uh, way so we are just trying to understand in my lab and also in the world in general how trafficking of receptors moving them to place to place how does that work in various uh, contexts of health and disease so my lab is interested in intracellular trafficking and we are particularly interested in how this happens in endothelial cells these are the cells that line our blood vessels the innermost lining of our blood vessels and so we are really interested in understanding you know how these innermost lining of cells know that they have to face the blood on one side and the tissue on the other side so what sort of um, you know these membrane embedded receptors they put on their top side or the luminal side or the side that faces the blood versus the kind of proteins that they put on the tissue side so this has a huge relevance to you know the basic functions of endothelial cells which is to you know only transport certain things from the blood to the tissue side so that's sort of a polarity so we are a lab that's absolutely uh, interested in understanding intracellular trafficking and we are also trying to connect that to the metabolic health of the endothelial cells so basically we are interested in understanding how trafficking um, alters metabolism and more specifically mitochondrial metabolism so this mitochondrial uh, this, um, dysfunction is actually common cause for a lot of uh, vascular diseases like even atherosclerotic vascular disease or hypertensive vascular disease so all of this the basic root cause can be traced to a failure of our mitochondria you all might have heard that mitochondria is the powerhouse right so it has to power a lot of functions of the uh, endothelial cells and if it's dysfunctional uh, this has real world implications so we are trying to understand how mitochondrial health and quality is maintained and how that is achieved through these trafficking routes which we are trying to map yeah so uh, that's what the current work uh, and so i am definitely sure that you know it has a lot of significance as far as concern and we we all have the information and data that our country is becoming kind of a, a hub for all these cds and uh, diabetes related diseases uh, 
across the world. Right? So yeah, uh, very much important that that you that you are doing in your lab. Also, uh, tell us a bit about uh, the work that you did in SC and University of Christ. Uh, what were the areas that you focused on? Yeah, so um, um, the lab interest now is actually a combination of interests I developed through my PhD and my postdoc. So I did my PhD in Indian science with my mentor, uh, Dr. Annapuni Rangarajan. And my work was on cancer cells. And it was on cancer cell metabolism and how the cancer cells very intelligently switch their metabolism according to the kind of substrates available to them, according to their environment. So they can go from a very dormant, quiescent, uh, hiber almost hibernating state to a very actively proliferating cell. And that requires a huge metabolic switch. So that sort of a switching can be a, um, a part of how, how the uh, cancer cells, you know, survive a perilous journey through the body during metastasis. So in order to survive, the cancer cells have to switch their metabolism. And that's something I studied during my um, PhD with uh, Dr. Anapurni. So we wanted to look at how we can target this metabolic switch in uh, cancer cells, making them more susceptible to uh, dying in the course of uh, uh, metastasis, thereby preventing them from going from one part of the body to another. So that's that's an overall goal that we had. And it was all to do with intracellular uh, metabolism and the major, major regulators of this metabolism. So I, I took that um, sort of an understanding of metabolism and uh, how we can, how that actually dictates what the cell is capable of and not capable of doing. And I then applied it actually to my postdoctoral interest in angiogenesis, which I'll come to in a bit. And the combination of those two is what I am, I hope to do in my uh, current lab. So in my postdoc, which was in uh, University of Bristol with uh, Professor Harry Miller, um, who was an amazing scientist and a great mentor, actually. Um, so in, uh, in, in Harry's lab, actually, uh, I got to do a lot of cool things with the trafficking. So like I mentioned, these these vesicles whizzing around in the cell, the first time you look at it live, it's uh, it is an, uh, it's an aha moment because we never really expect things to move around that quickly and in that many numbers, and it's absolutely beautiful to look at. So these vesicle transport across cells, especially, you know, uh, from the, like I said, the luminal side, the blood facing side of the cell to the tissue facing side of the cell. It's absolutely critical. And uh, I worked on a group of proteins that regulate the cell shape and how that might also regulate the way these vesicles move around and therefore what the endothelial cells can do. So in our, in our work, we actually showed that there is actually a tug of war between two proteins. And this tug of war is uh, the deciding factor of this tug of war is actually whether the cells have to undergo migration and angiogenesis or not. So if a protein called CDC42, of course, the names are not important. Um, if the, the protein uh, CDC42 wins the tug of war, uh, the cells are now capable of making new blood vessels or the process called angiogenesis. If, if the other protein called Roje is actually winning the tug of war, they are likely to remain more quiescent. So I um, so we figured out this tug of war and we were very happy to see that, you know, we could figure out, a, you know, decision making situation in the cells uh, fate uh, based on um, competition between two very similar looking uh, proteins. So that was my work in postdoc. And I would like to carry those forward to actually understand how metabolism regulates decision making, how metabolism regulates state transitions, how metabolism 
in endothelial cells which is a much less studied field compared to cancer how that contributes to uh, whether cells can go on and make new blood vessels or remain dormant and stay quiescent in a very stable vessel so that's what we are trying to understand and the ultimate aim of course is to try and uh, make the human body make new blood vessels when there is a need like when there is less oxygen in some tissues which is something that happens in heart attack right so some part of the heart is um, not able to get enough uh, circulation like in coronary diseases so that uh, part uh, becomes uh, uh, what we call ischemic so we want we are not anywhere close to clinically having a very a robust way to stimulate angiogenesis we are reasonably good at inhibiting the process of angiogenesis or making of new blood vessels uh, like we do that with right now clinically with something we call bevacizumab which is the vegf inhibitors or the avastin so that is injected directly into the eye you might have seen that it's the very short outpatient procedure these days where um if you inhibit this particular protein vegf which is called vascular endothelial growth factor it inhibits extra blood formation in your eye which is a cause of you know a lot of uh, hypertensive uh, you know vision loss and everything so we are very good at stopping extra blood vessel growth but we are not as good at prodding the body to make new blood vessels in a timely and uh, uh, proper coordinated fashion so that's what our end goal is basically to try and treat ischemic disorders better i hope i answered your question even though it was a meandering one you know anand i i must say i used to hate the game tug of war but i think it has a big relevance now to me <laughs> but, yeah i mean uh, it's interesting because uh, you know somewhere i used to feel when i when i when i was in my uh, bachelor's that fundamental research is something that's not at all related to how i'm going to live my life but uh, over the years of course i have learned uh, through whatever work and you know whatever reading i have done that that's not the case uh, do you also face such challenges in terms of uh, explaining your work to people say your family or people who are around you that okay there is a lot of significance in what i'm doing uh do you, have you faced any such challenges uh that's a really good question uh, of course uh, i am sure many many students would have faced this during their phd that their family cannot comprehend that they are still studying you know who studied yeah. so long in their life um and then postdoc that is yet another step you are still studying why don't you take up a job no matter how many times we try and convince our family that you know this is an actual job it still doesn't go down as one until you are in academia so that's where the questions might actually stop um so or when you are finally into industry so uh, the there is a difficulty in communicating fundamental science but um fundamental science is something that only if we have that fundamental understanding can we that's a foundation we can't build on top of um uh, we can't do application level science without that fundamental knowledge right now if you take uh, the covid scenario uh, the the discovery of the rna polymerase no no scientist who was actually trying to work on the rna polymerase actually thought that this will be part of the vaccine that will save humankind from covid right but that is the most effective uh, uh, rna vaccines that we have it would not have been possible to build an rna vaccine without all the fundamental research that went behind the scenes for decades so when we say vaccine development was very quick it was actually based on decades and decades of fundamental research so uh, when we say uh, we are doing fundamental research and uh, 
immediately the question would be okay what is this of use to me it might not be now it might not be in 5 years it might not even be in 10 years but you know it is um, chipping away bit by bit at the truth and you know everybody's work across the world adds up at some point to give us something very remarkable like the covid vaccine now so that's how i see research and uh, not as an end product of uh, something that i can build a Uh, you know immediately translational uh, of course i am involved in one or two projects that could have a translational outcome but uh, definitely my lab is more tuned to understanding fundamentally how blood vessels grow how vessels change shape and how we can actually modulate this process so definitely there is a trouble communicating with the lay audience how our work they should actually we do all our research with taxpayers money so we are obliged to explain to them that you know what we are doing is beneficial in the long term in the longer term it's actually visionary that you invest now in the talent that we have and in the um, things we discover so that you know we are able to deliver 10 years down the line we might be able to go to mars and some part of that and uh, even in our days there are so many experiments that are conducted in space which i find very very much fundamental you know we are uh, we don't know whether we will ever have the need to know what happens to cells when they are taken in microgravity but a lot of research is done that because even if i cannot anticipate a use for that research in the next 2 or 3 years the uh, un unforeseen things can happen and would make that very relevant crispr one of the most um, used technologies right now with gazillions of applications coming up it was not done with the intention of an application based product at the end of the research work that uh, the nobel laureates did uh, so it is uh, so that is the beauty as well as the bane of doing fundamental research the immediate output is not very visible and not even communicatable very easily yeah i mean yeah, you I mean, put it very very beautifully uh, you know uh, the covid vaccine would not have been possible at all if if we wouldn't have invested in uh, fundamental research years ago and somewhere i heard i heard an uh, interview uh, uh, neil degrasse tyson he was he was talking about you know how uh, investment goes on at at the nasa right and how investment goes on towards uh probably uh building and understanding the world outside the earth right so if you, if you ask a layman uh, i mean what's what's the use in his life probably there might not be in his current life but there is a lot of significance uh, that's how that's how we the world has evolved right unless we wouldn't have we would have uh, invested our time and money and effort into doing fundamental research all the uh, advancements that have happened over the years would not have actually happened so yes. yeah definitely um so uh, now uh, yes fundamental research happens across the world but you know there is there is an argument that you know some countries are doing better at that some countries are not doing better at that right uh, the level of funding is different the whole approach towards fundamental research is different and so uh, now that you worked in two places right you worked in india as well as the uk uh, fundamental research itself uh, what are the key differences that you observed in the two countries as far as the whole approach is concerned towards fundamental research 
Um, so I have just started out here. So, um, so I'm uh, my opinions or my struggles would uh, would be very subjective. What I'm trying to say is that my answer would not be applicable to everybody else, and their experiences would definitely be very different. So the ease of doing science, uh, whether it be fundamental or application oriented or product development, I found was easier in UK because because of the way it was structured. It's not. It's definitely. I would also say that my in my personal experience, I found that students in India, master students in India, are way more dedicated. Might even be way more uh, uh, intelligent. I would say that would be uh, bias, of course. But I would find that uh, it's there is no dearth of talent. There's no dearth of ideas in India. But the, when it comes to execution of these ideas, whether they be fundamental or application oriented, there are a lot of roadblocks. And those roadblocks are not necessarily connected to funding alone. um biology is by the way a stream of science that requires a lot of input a lot of uh, um that that sort of an investment is required in the beginning and uh, uh that too is varied between streams but definitely for what i do so uh, that kind of an investment and that kind of an ease of doing science so if i do need a reagent today i have an idea and i need that reagent to test it out that reagent in india would come Two to three months down the lane, wherein I would have uh, I would have meandered a bit, and it would it would not be as effective as having that reagent on my bench the very next day, which is what happens in UK. So uh, the there are more of it is more of an administrative issue, I would say. Uh, but eventually, as the lab grows, obviously the these. Uh, difficulties are more or less uh, taken care of because you would have built up your resources to a point where you can afford a 2 to 3 month delay uh, so i think uh, but still that that actually that you can see that the response to that very clearly in the response to covid how pliable are you how quickly can you test out your ideas how quickly can you communicate that to other scientists through publications most of the most uh, almost all of the impactful studies on experimental evidence for um, covid uh, pathogenesis let let us say cardiovascular pathogenesis or how it works to cause pneumonia all of these animal models all of that was done abroad in this one year so i'm sure all of these ideas would have uh, come to many indian scientists but they could not be fast track funded and they could not they didn't have a system in place where they could respond to such a challenge in such a fast fashion we almost always take 3 to 4 years to complete a project um and uh, that's not the time scales in which um, uh, uk at least operates um, wherein a group that i uh, in the same department that i was working in in university of bristol published a very good paper showing that the virus enters the cells using one more receptor other than the famous ac2 that we know it it uses one more receptor called neuropelin 1 so to demonstrate that and that's a science paper they took just 4 to 5 months and i'm sure that idea or the way that execution is it's it's not beyond what indian scientists can do but it is beyond what the administrative and structural support that indian scientists have so we would potentially take a year to have done that and that would slow us down so definitely we are slower but not we are not very far away 
in terms of what we can do we are just a bit slower and so our response to new challenges could be slightly slow and we would uh, fail a competition in that sense but as such uh, i am sure that there are uh, very talented and dedicated scientists in india as there are uh, there is in uk and so and funding i am not very sure like i mentioned uh, i'm a newbie here and my understanding of how the system works is only partial right now that's that's true uh, but you put it uh, very well i mean we've seen over the years right we we've always had uh, a drainage of our talent uh, to to other countries right so as far as talent talent goes uh, i think we are second to none uh, there's no there's no doubts about that but uh, yeah i mean it's always been it's always been about uh, execution and the will power to actually do it right and that's where i think so, uh, the concept of jugad has come in where we are much much more uh, better at you know finding out a way even in uh, difficult times <laughs> so uh, but i mean that does not solve the pur pur purposes every time i believe so yeah i mean those are those are challenges no doubt and uh, we uh, probably we can just uh, hope that in the near future we we kind of overcome those and we we have a better fundamental research uh, facilities going forward uh, do you see uh, a role for uh, private players to you know come into the funding part uh, because right now i believe it's mostly the you know the, yes. the public funding that happens yes that is an amazing question suraj not just private players private philanthropies they run the research to a great extent so i was funded by british heart foundation for my postdoctoral fellowship in uk and uh, the cancer research uk all of those are uh, philanthropies they are uh, funded not uh, they are funded not by the uk govern per, government alone per se but most of the funding comes from donations uh, by the public so yeah. and they have charity shops that raise money for research that sort of uh, you know integration of uh, the society with science and in a way that the society feels that they should actually donate a part of their income to get science done that is almost completely missing in india so private players private philanthropies of course we have had uh, tata who invested so much that's why isc is where it is um, so uh, so there has been role of some players uh, where there has been public private partnerships but um, non you know the uh, ngos and uh, raising money for science is something that's not uh, happening in a big way in india there there might be some societies that do fund uh, and there are some societies that do fund research but that is a very very minute uh, uh, contribution compared to the majority of the research like you rightly pointed out is done with government funding um, and there are limitations and there are uh, red tapeism that would happen because it's a long process it has to be an impartial process and uh, it has to be rolled out across the uh, country and there are uh, limitations whereas uh, if you have a, a more uh, pliable sort of an environment that uh, private players can bring in it will quicken the process it will make the process better but i am i'm not a, a person who can actually visualize it from that side actually so uh, there are limitations which i think uh, if if it is if it comes to the ethos of the society that they 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 interact with science a lot more than what is happening now that would be really better for science in india yeah i mean somewhere if you see uh, 
okay private private funding comes with a uh, with an expectation of a return on investment so that's something that has to be uh, avoided i feel uh, because it's fundamental science you can't say that okay in 5 years time i need this much of returns out of it so that's not going to happen right so uh, so that's that's the kind of thought process which has to be avoided but yeah, i mean if you feel, if you really look around the, the kind of private investment we have in other sectors yeah. uh, it's huge okay so the billions and uh, billions of dollars are invested in in companies which are which are of course valued at certain levels uh, but a lot of them are losing money uh, as well right so investor money i believe could be directed towards uh, you know investing into fundamental science i mean really speaking we are not far away from creating our own tesla it's it's the brain is there right it's yeah. just it's it's just the, the 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 i mean the the interest to be shown by uh, companies or private private players towards building something like that so yeah i mean yeah like i mentioned there are a lot of scientists who actually do work that is translatable in a 5 to 10 year window uh, yeah. but it's also high risk as such because science is dealing with uncertainties on a daily basis so whether you would get a return on investment absolutely we can't say so but the uh, rajiv gandhi center for biotechnology has a cell where um, they make this process of filing patents easier they make it they make translational process easier there is a campus called bionest which is an innovation center uh, where they try to make sure that you know uh, the work uh, if uh, if private parties are interested in investing or if there is a startup that tries to wants to have a uh go at uh, some sort of a process and scaling uh so all of this is done um uh in uh, rgcb and there are dedicated centers and campuses to try and uh, bring translation into what we are trying to do uh but uh, obviously uh, not every scientific uh, work is translatable in an immediate course but that is something that uh, still an investment and an interest in from private players would help i feel definitely definitely um it's been an amazing discussion and uh, uh, to sum it up uh, you've had a long career as a researcher right and uh, i think you'd be an ideal person to answer this uh, how does a day in the life of a researcher look like uh, how do you cope with you know the challenges failures and self doubts that that exist and eventually the success uh that's that's a great question actually it, it's uh, i personally feel it's a great life to have so uh so in i will go into specific so that you have a flavor for it so we grow bacteria called e coli um pretty much every lab does that is our vessel to amplify dna so if we want a piece of dna and we want millions of copies of it let's say you put it in these uh, tiny bacteria and they grow so they grow overnight so pretty much we would have asked them to grow the day before and the first thing in the morning in the life of a researcher like me many of the wet lab scientists would be to go to the incubator and see if their bacteria has grown and if the bacteria has grown something as simple as that would give us a lot of pressure okay i asked it to grow with a certain piece of dna and it has grown so the day starts with looking at the bacteria growing because that's mostly an overnight process not always but um, and then it goes through a set of um, things where the we talk about science a lot between the right now with my students and if not with our colleagues uh, in phd and postdoc so 
there there is a lot of exchange of ideas it would be like oh did you see this paper and uh, then why this idea would work and not work and then we get to do our experiment mostly one or two experiments a day so and some of the experiments give you a result the same day some of them give you the next day so it's always anticipation there is a high dose of anticipation throughout the day uh, starting from the morning to seeing whether your culture is grown to the time um, uh, in the end of the day where some of your results are coming out it is always a story of anticipation and i would warn that of course all the anticipation uh, is not met 99% of your anticipated results just doesn't come out and mostly it's like oh this thing didn't work and then a long list of troubleshooting but of uh, the beauty of a life of a scientist is that we get to live in a lot of anticipation and there is interaction on what we love to do and uh, that that's what makes the life um, a regular day in the life of a scientist very interesting and we i in my lab particularly i would like to mention that uh, we look do a lot of microscopy we get to see cells live we get to see cells moving around and wiggling we get to see stuff inside the cells like vesicles i mentioned moving around and that really makes my day so that's how usually life of a scientist is even if it is disappointing result wise it's not it's not very bad at all so i would really encourage anyone who is uh, enthused by the idea of doing science to actually pursue a phd there are multiple career options at the end of phd but phd is what tells you um, where to go and what your passion is which and it is usually life changing so i re really encourage all uh, and in enthusiastic and interested students out there listening to this that give phd a try it might definitely be worth it yeah absolutely that's a very strong message uh, to end the show it's been an absolute pleasure uh, dr ananta uh, i'm sure that uh, in the years coming uh, you know you will you'll definitely carve out a niche for for yourself and your team and uh, i look forward to more and more interesting uh research work from your laboratory thanks, um, thanks for having me and i i do hope your venture actually also scales up and you get to uh, you get to write a lot more and uh, more widely read uh, uh pieces and i'm sure you have the right attitude towards the whole thing so congratulations on this whole venture of interviewing scientists you know it uh, it's really what scientists love to talk about their work so <laughs> i think it's an amazing yeah. thank you thank you thank you bye bye bye